Hello and welcome to the Loose Forward podcast. I'm Andy. I'm Callum. And I'm Bray. And we're all about Rugby League. The M62 and beyond. Well, you heard a third voice again of Grey, which can only mean one thing, Callum. Part two of our three-part special podcast. On uh, issues in the game. And tonight we're going to be looking at structure and governance. Yes. But you've got a quick update, haven't you, from part one? Yeah. Um, amazing responses, you know, on, on Facebook and, and, and Twitter and to, to me personally. Um, and, and it's also become our most downloaded um, podcast ever, which I think deserves one of these. <laughs> So, yeah, you know, it's, it, to, to become the, the most, I think it became the most downloaded episode within 48 hours or something, which is in, in, an incredible response. Um, so, yeah, um, really looking forward to to part two tonight and, and next week already. So, Great, do you feel a bit like a Saints fan that's maybe come on board in the last two years and just grabbed all the glory? <laughs> <laughs> These, these downloads could be, you know, a sign of um, positivity or just a sign of negativity. You know, people just want to hear who this idiot is on the podcast. So who knows? Yeah, I, I thought it was posit- positivity until I read some of the t- uh, some of the comments on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, um, but something that is um, an update from part one was around the TV day. Uh, Gray, you've got some uh, news on that for us, haven't you? It was just in the Rugby League Express on Monday. Um, Martin Sadler um, reported that it looked like the the deal for 2022-2023 is all but, all but done um, for around £25 million a year, which obviously is a lot lower than the £40 million a year at present. Um, I think one caveat probably is, is that the, the £40 million deal thereabouts kind of covered more than Super League. Whereas I think the 25 million is almost exclusively for Super League, so it it means that the Super League clubs probably won't suffer too much. But how the other people or the other clubs below the Super League get money from that reduced deal is um is anyone's guess. So it's not great news, to be fair. No, and that's got to be worrying times for the Championship and below. Indeed, yeah. Yeah. Um... Another update from part one, Gray, is that um, the letter, uh, we talked about a lack of responses in the first episode of the special, um, but has now actually been published and was the number one story on the website, wasn't it, this week? Yeah, the the aforementioned um, Mr Sadler, fair play to him. He um, he emailed me on Sunday and said he wanted to put the letter on because he thought it would tie a knife with the, the story that he had running. He thought the letter... Um, had merit and would tie in nicely with it. So, um, fair play to him. Stuck it on the website. Um, didn't leave it at the bottom. It was the it was the new story. It was the top story for, I think Monday morning. Um, and it's and it's got lots of um coverage on Twitter because he he linked to it on Twitter and a lot of people I think about a hundred people liked it and lots of people left messages. So, yeah, fair play to him. It's um if if other people can do the same, that would be a really positive thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that what I was uh, impressed with um, uh, from Martin Sadler was that he didn't butcher the letter with uh, needless editing. He printed it in its entirety, didn't he? 
Yeah, completely. Um, yeah, start to finish, nothing edited. It's just the way, just the way it was written. Excellent. So that's good news. And again, I think it just has it spread the word a little bit further about the letter and the and the intentions. That's great. So, so tonight we're going to look at uh, we're going to look at structure and governance, and I think we're going to look at the structure first. And and I think by structure, uh, Gray, we mean the how how much the the game has changed in terms of uh, probably in terms of the playoffs more than anything. I would think, hasn't it? Yeah, well, the the playoffs also doesn't sorry doesn't just mean the playoffs. Obviously, the introduction of playoffs means that how the regular season is played has changed as well. So. The, the playoffs is a, is a whole structural thing which has changed the way the entire rugby league season evolves, in my opinion. Yeah, and um, I mean, obviously, going back to Super League, there was the uh, well, what we what we then termed summer rugby, didn't we? And then, uh, although Callum, we've not seen much so, with the introduction of summer rugby when it's in February, it's um, not the same, is it? No, not really, and and. Even the last couple of years, it's been back end of January, hasn't it? So we've all been to Castleford in the snow. Yeah, it's in a, it's in a few games in the snow, aren't we? It's good old summer rugby, <laughs> definitely. Um, yeah. So when we look at the way that the games, uh, like you said, the game has changed, Gray, in, in terms of the way that the season finishes and, and things like that, we've had so many systems, and we seem to have come back full circle now over the last 20 years or so don't we pretty much um, um, without going through it all chronologically um, obviously the, the first playoff system we had from 98 was the top 5 in my opinion it was the best playoff system we've had I think it's been proven to be the best system we changed it to top 6 which again wasn't too bad because it allowed the teams at the top a second life and it gave an advantage to the teams that were most consistent. Since then, I mean, the, the the top eight system was, you know, Leeds won the title from fifth twice during the top eight system. And then we moved to the, the super eights and the top fours. And then 20 years after getting rid of the top five, we went back to the top five, thus proving that, you know, every decision that was made in the 15 to 20 years in between getting rid of it and bringing back was was short-termist with no real long-term thought put behind it. And we ended up back where we began. And what damage was caused to the reputation of the game, what damage was caused to people outside of the game looking in, thinking, are these people going to stick with their structure for more than four or five years at a time? And we ended up back where we began. And um, I think that's probably been quite damaging to the reputation of the of the sport, really. Yeah, I know... I mean, I mean, not just not just from outside the game, but within the game. But we had a lot of friends, didn't we? we were Callum, who were who were non rugby league fans, if you like, who took a passing interest, forever asking us questions, weren't they? About so so, how does it work? Yeah, they were, <coughs> excuse me. We had um, quite a lot of yeah casual fans, would probably call them. Mm. If it was on the telly, they wouldn't turn it off. If there was nothing else on, but. Mm. Um, yeah, they, you know, they they were coming up to us, and especially during the the middle eights and the the super eights and things like that about how that worked. I didn't really know fully myself. It was that confusing. It was just just made it up. It on was the spot. a bit, It was just a complete joke. That system wasn't it. I don't. I, 
somebody's had a drink before they've wrote that one down, hasn't <laughs> they? But um, yeah, like you say, for you know, if, if we if we live and breathe rugby league and we go and watch it every week and, and 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 watch every game that's on the telly and we can't fully understand it, what chances somebody who's just a casual fan got? Yeah, I had I had two main when we went to the top eight. I don't know what you two think, but I, I had two main issues with it. One was that absolutely um, re- rewarded mediocrity. Yeah. Um, when you've got a chance of doing something from eighth, um, and then the other the other real issue that I had uh, with the um, uh, with the top eight was that if you finished eighth. Your season was pretty much dead and buried. So what was happening? I think it was Wakefield one year that didn't they decide to give all the players operations that they needed to give them more time to recover, and then sort of like just bombed out completely for the last seven games because they didn't really have much of a team because they were all in hospital having having operations and things that they needed to more time for next they, season. They knew they couldn't get top four, wasn't it? Yeah. So they just sent them all off to to sort themselves out because they knew they couldn't get relegated. Mm. It absolutely, absolutely and yet, bizarre. System. And yet they branded it, didn't they? As um, I think that the slogan was pretty much "Every minute matters" or "Every game matters." That's right. Yeah. And and uh, they were trying to say that, oh yeah, every game's important, and because they, they were, they was they were saying, weren't they, with previous uh, systems that you know you didn't really have to win x amount of games to mm. to to get anything from it. So, unfortunately, Gray, I think that. That um, that catchphrase, if you like, that every game matters, hasn't really been apt for a number of years. I wouldn't have thought, has it? No, um, I was I was thinking back when you mentioned that that slogan, and I thought, yeah, when when they brought the top eight and when they did the super eights and the top four, and when they when they said every minute matters, what they really meant was every minute matters for the the rubbish teams. They, yeah. they didn't mean they didn't mean every minute matters for the top teams because actually minutes meant a lot less to the top teams when you expand the playoffs because finishing top means less finishing second means less and so the the games that I believe attract outsiders are the games between the best teams and you want the you want the games between the best teams during the regular season to be really really important because you want first place to be really important you want second place to be really important. And in the top five system that we had at the beginning, that's what happened. You know, everybody wanted to finish top two because the playoffs were really, really were, were done in a way whereby consistency during the regular season was rewarded in that playoff system. It was a perfect regular season playoff combination because no team outside the top two reached the grand final from that system, which meant that the best two teams reached the grand final. And the best two teams were the best two teams because they were the two teams that tried the hardest during the season to finish top two because they knew they had to. And so when you make the playoffs eight teams or six teams, the the games meant less because finishing top didn't mean as much anymore. And I think that's a real weakness because they're the games that sell the games. Saints and Wigan, Saints and Warrington, Wigan lead. They're the games that are really important that sell as we said last week, they're the, they're the games that sell sponsorships that get ratings on TV. And those games meant a lot less. And it was hugely harmful to the sport, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and every time, I think every time you add a plate in the playoff, it waters down the importance of each game, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. Especially when, you know, when you consider we've only got a league of 12 as well. And, you know, going back to your point about 
um, rewarding me- mediocrity and things like that. I mean, I don't see how you can have a, a top eight in a league of, of 12 no. or, you know, e- even, you know, the 14. If you can get into the playoffs having lost more games than you've won, that just doesn't make any sense, does it? It's an absolutely ridiculous situation that you could have a, a grand final winner that's actually won less than 50% of the regular games. Yeah. But, yeah, um, I, I think uh, well, they. <clears throat> I think it was Gary Hetherington. They they moved to top eight when they they moved from twelve to fourteen teams, mm-hmm. didn't they? And his we line did. was, "Well, we've we've increased the league by two teams. So it's only common sense that we increase the playoffs <laughs> by two games, by two teams." And you just think there's no logic in that at all. No, no. You know, if, if we went to twenty teams, would you have a twelve team playoff, a fourteen team playoff? It's, it was it was illogical. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you, though, Gray, in the, in the fact that I I always preferred the top five system because I think, as you indicated, it was it was weighted towards the top two teams because if you wanted to win it from fifth, basically, you then had to go to the playoffs and beat fourth away, third away, second away in consecutive weeks. Um, and I think that was that was really, and it was pretty unlikely that anyone would do that, as the as the figures um, as as the figures showed. So I, I totally agree with you with that. But I know you sent me a stat um, earlier this week around Leeds, didn't you, from uh, winning it from fifth uh, in two thousand eleven, two thousand and twelve? Yes. Um, yeah, I. I, I We've lived, we've lived through that. We, we, we know that Leeds were garbage both years. They, they, they were rubbish in the regular season. Um, but the thing that got me the most was that we were, as I just said, the, the games that sell the game, the games between the best teams. And during those two years, you know, the, the big four, if you want to call it, St. Helens, Wigan, um, Leeds and Warrington. Leeds played 12 regular season games against those other three teams in those two years. And they won one of them. They lost 10 of them. Yeah. And they, they got hammered. Several times, Wigan put fifty on them at Headingley. I think Saints put forty on them at Headingley. Gave them a, a Warrington. Sorry, um, Saints beat them at Witness quite heavily. They beat them at one of the first games that was played at Langtree Park in 2012. I think Leeds had dyed their hair for some charity that day. I remember it. Ah, oh, um, they all they all dyed it blonde, didn't they? For that was it was it red? red was it red for, for red nose day or something? Yeah, yeah. That's that was right. it. Yeah. So they, they they got some absolute hammerings, and not just from the top three. Or the top four, they they got hammered lots of games in those two years. They didn't make any difference, and you know I I I'm, I never believed that Leeds were only the fifth best team in the league over those two seasons. You don't turn up for the playoffs and do what they did two years in a row if you're not a good team. But they didn't need to do it in the regular season, and therefore, if you can play the system, mm-hmm. which I believe they did two years in a row, the regular season is ninety percent of the season. If you're making ninety percent of the season, basically, you know, like Formula One qualifying yeah. before the big race, it completely diminishes the whole point of the season. If you can finish fifth, knowing you're not the best fifth best team, knowing that you are probably the best team or the second best team or the third best team, knowing you can finish fifth two years in a row and get away with it, and that, that again, for me, diminished the integrity of the game. Not that Leeds won the league. But the fact that Leeds knew they only had to finish fifth before they won the league. Yeah, I agree. It was a bit, a little bit like um, athletes trying to peak for the Olympics or something, wasn't it? For that, yeah. But yeah, it's um, yeah, I agree. Um, so what? I mean, even even now, Gray, over the last couple of years, there's been well, last year we said, didn't we, as a one-off, we were going to go to six, wasn't it? And they yeah. were going to and they were going to do that as a one-off. And yet this year, 
in a, a 25 game season we've 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 kept that and sort of brushed that under the carpet haven't we yeah well the, the the reason that they gave last year was because they they weren't sure they were going to be able to have enough weeks to get the top five system because the top five system does take a few more weeks yeah which was lot which was logical it's fine I didn't have any problems with that um but then they said at the start of the year they were going to keep it they were going to keep this top six system because again they they weren't sure whether they were going to be able to get all the games played so you may end up in a situation like last year where teams had played less games than others so it might have been unfair to maybe just have a top four or, or a top five because maybe the team in six would have played less games and it would have got very confusing so but then when you schedule a 25 game regular season my attitude is that you're not really that worried about time you're not really worried about saving time and so having a 25 game season plus the challenge cup indicates that you're trying to get a lot of games in. and if you are then you should have the playoff system that you all agreed to two years ago instead of having a a playoff system, which again is so diluted. I mean, you, you can finish top and lose one game, and you're not in the grand final. It's it's no reward, and we we know why they do it. We know why they move from top five to top six to top eight. We know why they do it because a playoff system that rewards the best two teams is is no fun. There's no fun for them. They want playoffs to be erratic. They want them to be shocking. They want teams to come from nowhere. They want the team that finishes eight. People on Sky used to say it all the time. Yep. Wouldn't it be great if the team that finished eight won the grand final? No. no it would be not. ridiculous. Yeah. It would be a sham to a sport of a team that finished in the bottom half of the league and lost more than half their games and ended up as league champions. But that's what the people... And when Sky say that, it makes you realise that Sky probably had a little word and said, this is what we want. We want fun. We want unpredictability at the end of the year. I don't. I want the best team to win the league. And if that comes from a playoff system, so be it. But the playoff system has to reward the most consistent teams. And this top six system doesn't. It's not going to reward the best teams. It's going to be a, a knockout lottery again. But that's what the Rugby Football League and the Super League probably want. It's definitely what Sky wants. It's not fair. And as we touched on it last week, then the games rolled over when Sky wanted something. So, yeah, they, they, you know, they, it's like Gray was saying then about you know they, they want the, the unpredictability and they want these shocks, and yet really they haven't really come the shocks. You might have the odd shock result, but there's only four teams that have won Super League, so they've not really happened. So, what's the point? Do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. There's always there's always that chance, isn't there? There's yeah. always that chance, you know, whole KR could win it from eight or something. I mean, <clears throat> the fact that they don't is evidence that they're not very good. But, you know, we're always going to give them a chance. Got to give these rubbish teams a chance to win the league championship. Wouldn't it be great for the game? <laughs> no, it wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so so if, you two, if you two were in charge of Super League tomorrow, what, 2022... What are we? What are we? What are we going back to for the playoffs? Top five, top six. What are you going with, Callum? Top five, definitely. I think it's the <clears throat> the fairest way, and yeah. and um, everybody wants to finish, um, like Gray said, the first and second because you you get the most rewards out of it. So, yeah. Gray, you going top five as well? If we if we if we if we're sticking with playoffs, top five. I mean, I'm a well, I was going to say a traditionalist, but we always we always had playoffs back in the day. So it's not actually traditional for rugby league to have a normal league championship. But it, my first choice would be just a normal league championship. You win the most games, you get the most points, you win the league. But of the playoffs, top five is by far and away the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I agree. I I also wouldn't have the playoffs. I don't think. But I think if we're going to have them, I think top five is the the best way to go. Because the thing that the thing that 
the thing that bugged me was, was everyone says, you know, you can't get rid of the playoffs because of the grand final. The grand final is the marquee game. We now have the Magic Weekend. And, you know, the Magic Weekend is everything they wanted the grand final to be. It's a showcase for the sport for a weekend. Loads of people go. You get forty or 50,000. I mean, the, 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 the Magic Weekend is everything the grand final couldn't have been, really. It's it's Sky's dream weekend, and you know it's a great weekend for rugby league if you think of those things positively. So, the Magic Weekend has made the Grand Final, in my opinion, less important as a marquee event for the game. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. if you do that and you you made the Challenge Cup final a real focus at Wembley and stuff as well, I don't think people would miss the Grand Final as much as you think they would when you when you talk about you know Magic Weekend and what you know an event that's become. And you know if we get the um, Challenge Cup attendance figures like we used to, and 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 you know not only in the, the the stadium but on the on the television as well. I don't think people would miss um, the, the grand final as much as they think. Yeah, oh, I completely agree. I completely agree. And and some people don't go to the grand final anymore because it's um, it's become a bit of a boozy evening, hasn't it? It's played at six o'clock on a Saturday night in Manchester. It's um, some people don't even like it anymore. They asked for the kickoff to be brought forward quietly, whereas Magic Weekend. Seems to go off of that hitch. It's um, it's a, it's a it's a fun day or two. Yeah, have you always been a supporter of Magic Weekend, Gray? No, not at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, 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 it, it isn't what it should have been. I think the idea was that you know it was a way of spreading the game to a, a different place. I think it started in Cardiff, didn't it? It did because um, it was but, it was it was first billed as uh, Millennium Magic, wasn't it? That was it. Yeah. yeah. But then, when you when you have it in Manchester or these all of these places, it, it's yeah. it's not what it was designed to be. It's now it's now just a marquee weekend, isn't it? It's not really about expanding the game, so to speak. It's about having a big a big weekend in the north. Yeah, and I, I think they found the perfect place in Newcastle as well. Everybody, I, I've not been to the Newcastle once. The only one I've not been to, but everybody that I've spoke to has gone and said it's by far the best place because it's right in the city centre and you're there and everything's around you. Um, whereas you know, when I went to the one at uh, the Etihad, Edi- uh, we went to Edinburgh. Well, we went well. to Edinburgh as well. There's nothing there, is there? It was in the middle of nowhere. That yeah, one at the, the middle of nowhere. You know, even the um, the the Etihad one. You know, you had to. They were putting free buses on from uh, like Piccadilly Gardens and Town Centre, and and you got like free shuttle to to the stadium. Well, it's it's a bit of a trek, really. You don't really want to be doing that. Like you want everything around you, don't you? And you know, even when they took it to Anfield, there's nothing around Anfield. No, that's right. So. Yeah, I think Newcastle's the perfect city for it. If, if you're going to keep Magic Weekend as just a kind of a marquee, fun weekend for the game, Newcastle's the best place to do it. Yeah, and it, it sort of falls into the, that category of you know trying to get the expansion as well because I know that the, the, I think the, they're trying to build it up in the northeast as well, aren't they? And but it's not too far for everybody else to go and travel to. So I think I think it is the perfect place for for the Magic Weekend, really. Yeah. It's it's good because I think. Um, the the whole clubs are always really well supported because it's close enough for them. And you could end up in a situation in five years where Newcastle have got a Super League team, York have got a Super League team. It's a perfect location for that as well. It's right around the doorstep. Yeah. Great. Where do you, where do you stand? Because the other thing that we've had in, in terms of structure where, we, where we've changed is we've had, uh, we've had a franchise system and yeah. we've gone back and forward towards... Promotion and relegation. What are your th- What are your thoughts on the uh, 
uh, on the, the the pros and cons of uh, franchising? Well, it's one of the strange things because one of the the thing that I wanted to do most was try and highlight things that I thought people would have a consensus with. And there's a few things that I don't think there's a consensus amongst rugby league fans. And I think one of them is expansion. And I think the other thing is franchises. And so I've always I've always kind of hedged my bets when it's come to franchising. I've, I've instinctively not liked it. I've instinctively not liked kind of giving clubs three or four year contracts and saying you can't get relegated. But with Catalan, for example, allowing them to remain and not be relegated and to kind of establish themselves as a as a viable club in the top division. That's really worked. Yeah. I think if Toulouse were going to be promoted, I think the same thing would have to happen to them. But, you know, the, the franchising system I wasn't a fan of, but I could understand why people wanted to do it. It's, it's not something that I'm going to give the authorities a, a hard time about because I could see the reasoning behind it. I, I didn't like it myself, but I could see why they did it. I wouldn't have done it personally, but it's not something that, it vexes me hugely. I, I see the I can see the benefits of it. One one thing that did vex me a lot was the uh, million pound game. That was ridiculous. I hated that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I really did. I really did despise the million pound game, just for the simple fact that, for the sake of entertainment and massive novelty checks, to me, you're playing with people's livelihoods. Yeah, and that was the big thing, wasn't it? Everybody who was coming into one or uh, had lost one um was you know every every year it happened somebody said you know these are players livelihoods they've got mortgages to pay and, and bills to pay that was said every year and it was and then the next minute you've got coup cash or something running around with a big novelty check <laughs> yeah. like it was it was ridiculous and that was the the, the fact that they even had a big novelty check was Ludicrous! How insulting is that? No, it like, is. no, you, I totally agree, and especially in that particular game, the way that the one ended, the one that one ended with Gareth O'Brien's drop goal. Yeah, and you know that's just literally heartbreaking for for the whole KR players, staff, because all of a sudden their their business plan has just gone out of the window, hasn't it, on a drop goal? Yeah, but yeah. But, uh, interesting. I, I, I suppose you could argue that under a traditional system, they could have lost their last game of the season and got relegated, and the same thing would have happened. So, True. I suppose, I suppose if, if you're if you're going to have promotion and relegation, that would happen to that group of players, just not you know in front of everybody else in a one-off game. It would have happened at some stage on a Friday night in Huddersfield, maybe two weeks before the end of the season. So, I, I think they would have they would have had that heartbreak and that loss of livelihood. Under any relegation system, it was just um, it was built to it was it was it was a game that was built to kind of celebrate the winners without any real comprehension of how it would affect the losers on the day. I, I get what you mean. Yeah. Well, I just mentioned there about people's business plans going up in smoke. Um, if we move on to business plans, and in particular, in particular, salary caps, which is always um, a bone of contention. Um, I mean, Gray, we, we've on, we've we've only moved slightly on the salary cap over over the last few years, haven't we? I think the last increase was uh, in two thousand and seventeen when we went to the current two point one million. Yeah, it, it, it had moved more than I thought. I had I'd look back and um, it, it it moved more during the Super League era than I thought it had. And obviously, the marquee player rule came in, which is is to the advantage of um to the advantage of some clubs. Um, 
I, I, I think it's it, it sounds like such a heartless time to be talking about clubs spending more money on players. It's a, it's a really bad time, you know, in a, in a pandemic to say I want clubs to be able to spend more money on players. It, it, it sounds really heartless, but I'm not looking at this now, no. sat here in April 2021. I'm thinking about the next five years. Um, I, I think it's I think it's been proven that there are clubs in the top division that can spend more and would want to spend more. And I'd, I'm not suggesting that you you know you 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 raise it massively, but I think there's, there's there's definitely scope for the salary cap to be increased to allow some of the clubs that wish to spend a bit more to spend a bit more for for the benefit of keeping their better players for the benefit of better players not wanting to go and play in Australia. Some will still leave, but some won't. And I just think for the for the benefit of better games and better competition at the top of the game, because our better players are staying here and wanting to play in it. And the argument that you get against it, of course, is that some clubs won't be able to afford it. Some clubs will get left behind. My argument against that is, is you know, we've had a salary cap. Most of it's been paid by TV deal. And the same clubs in the 25 years have repeatedly failed and failed and failed and failed. Um, even though they've had the same the same advantages as Wigan and St. Helens and Leeds, they've not kept up. Then we've introduced playoff systems, which again have put an artificial low barrier for them to succeed. Finish eight, you've had a good season, you can win the league. Again, those teams still fail, they still fail, they still fail. So I've got to a stage now where I just think, you know, you, you are where you are because you're badly run. It's not because the world is unfair. And the teams at the top are being handcuffed by not being able to spend the money that they wish to spend. And I think it's lowering the quality at the top of the game. So I would, even if you just said for five years, we're going to increase the salary cap, see what it does. See if it keeps our better players. If it doesn't, if they also go to Australia, okay, we can think about it again. I, I would raise it because I think the likes of Warrington, Wigan, St. Helens, Leeds, I think would spend a little bit more money, keep some of their better players. And I think the games at the top would be better as a result. Yeah. Um, I mean, Warrington's salary cap is more like a, wiz- <laughs> more like a wizard's hat in it than a cap. <laughs> I think they call it a sombrero. I think so, yeah. But even, <laughs> even with that today, I mean, we've just seen uh, over the last couple of days that Dowell Clark is is now touted to go to the NRL for the Titans next season. Yeah, and, you, you know... And as you... Sorry, Callum, as you pointed out before, he's he's not long since uh, signed a new contract, has he? No, like I say, he's not long had a, a new contract at Warrington. Um, but these are the ki- he's the kind of player that you want to see in our game. He is exciting to watch um, from, from dummy half. Um, and, and not only him, if you look at some of the ones that have gone... Um, recently, George Williams, Luke Thompson, um, but then you look. I, I think also you look at even some of the ones who you think really they've gone to the NRL just because the NRL can come and take them because the salary cap's so big. Mm. Jordan Turner, Dan Sardens, and uh, Callum Watkins. Callum at the stage that he went, you know, if he'd have gone earlier in his career, you think yeah, fair enough. Yeah. But we've got to do something to try and keep our players on, on, on this side of the, the world. So a lot before the the um the salary cap in Australia is nine nine million dollars, mm. which equates to round about five million pound. Mm. What would be two point one, yeah. yeah mm. Which is a, a huge difference. And um 
the same the same in rugby union as well. Yeah, and I I, I agree with Gray as well. I think increasing it. Um, obviously, I think there's concerns that the teams will be, get left behind, like you said. But there's already a gap in Super League itself. Like we said before, there's only four teams that have won it. Nobody, apart from Warrington, nobody ever really has come close. It's always the same teams in the grand finals. So maybe maybe it'll help close the gap if some of them fringe teams can spend a little bit more. I don't obviously I don't know what their their cap is already and what money they've got to hand, but. I think the important thing as well is, is that we do keep these these players. Yeah. So potentially, let's just be controversial for a moment, Gray. I'm going to come to you first because I'm going to put you on this little spot. You've just said around the teams that have continually failed over the last, let's say, twenty years. What would you What would you do? Would you Would you get rid of those teams from Super? Oh, get rid is a terrible phrase, isn't it? But would you drop those teams from Super League and? Would you then go for more of an expansion route? So you've got a team maybe in in Birmingham or in Bristol or with with the ones that are well run in Super League, or would you would you say, okay, well, the ones that are not being very well run, this is a chance for you to you know a last chance saloon, so to speak? Um, no, no, I, I I wouldn't do that. Um, there's there's every. You know, Wakefield, Trinity, Wildcats, Hull KR, they've got every right to be in Super League as much as Crystal Palace or Burn, they have a right to be in the Premier League. But, you know, you, you talked about trying to close the gap. I mean, I'm going to be controversial. I'm not bothered about the gap. The gap doesn't bother me. If there's a gap between the best teams and the worst teams, so be it. Just like every other sport in the world. Some teams are good, some teams aren't. Some teams are well-managed, some aren't. Some win most of their games, some don't. I, I, it doesn't bother me if doesn't bother me if Wakefield are in Super League if they're there, they're right to be there and they don't get relegated. Perfectly happy for Wakefield to be in Super League, Hull KR, Castleford, Huddersfield, yeah. um, Salford. It doesn't bother me. I, I'm, I'm perfectly happy. I just don't think they should keep be kept getting artificial leg ups so that they're so that they're artificially competing with teams that are doing better than them. That's that's my only problem. That's not that not that I don't think they're merited. Not that I don't think they should be there. I, I wouldn't want to chuck them out unless they finish bottom of the league and get relegated. They, they've earned their place in the top division. I just, I, I think the whole structure is set up to kind of prioritise those clubs at the expense of prioritising the clubs that are actually making the game money, that actually get the, the sport headlines and spotlight. And, and we know which four or five clubs get the get all the headlines and the spotlight, deservedly so. And more attention should be put on them because they're the ones that are going to save the sport, that are going to take the sport into the next 10, 15 years and hopefully let it prosper. Not the teams in the middle because they've proven time and time again they can't do it. But they're merited in the league. I, I, don't, I, I, wouldn't want, you know, I wouldn't want Palace to get relegated in Premier League because you know, they never finished in the top half. They, they've, they've got a role to play and so have Wakefield, so have Huddersfield. You know? yeah. So, bearing that in mind then, does the... Does the marquee system work then? Mm. Yes and no. Um, it, it works. It works obviously by it works in the intention that it was supposed to work, but it's not. It's not a. It's not an answer, is it? It's not a. It's not something that you can say. Well, we'll just keep the marquee rule and everything will be fine, and we'll keep all our best players. It just isn't extensive enough, is it, to 
to do the job that it's supposed to do. It, the, the marquee rule for me would would be replaced by a higher salary cap. Yeah, I think in in one way it was um, it, it was I suppose you could say it was um, it was it was a way to circumnavigate raising the, the the salary cap, wasn't it? Really, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. So I want us to move on, if we can, to uh, to the governance side of, of rugby league and, and super league. I don't know. I don't know if it's just me. Um, and I try and keep up to date with everything rugby league and, and if you like this is our number one sport that we're, that we're interested in I, I still struggle to see who runs what and who's in charge of what and what their objectives are and I, I know I'm looking in as a fan and looking in from outside the bubble so to speak but I, I really do I really do struggle with that yeah, I haven't really got a clue who does what, and I, I tried to do a bit of research, couldn't <clears throat> really find anything. Um, I don't. Nothing's ever explained to us, is it? As rugby league fans, I don't think, and um, it's the whole, you know, point behind the letter, really. And yeah, I just haven't really got a clue who does what. I'm imagining the Super League stuff is is more about maybe. TV deals and, and sponsorships and trying to in, increase revenues and, and maybe the RFL is more about actual on-field stuff. But it's and just a com- guess. Community really. games, yeah, grassroots things like and things yeah. like that. And I, it's just a guess, really. But yeah, it just seems a real mishmash. Great. The, the last, the last CEO, um, Robert Elstone. Um, I'm not quite sure what he was what his intentions were and, and where he lost support of the clubs. I think I think the I think the idea was that Super League and the RFL would be a bit like the Premier League and the Football League. So the the Football League would have the or the FA even would have the grassroots system, it would have the lower divisions, it would have the national team. So it would sort out the contracts for the national team, it would look after that, it would sort out the contracts for the lower divisions the grassroots, all this stuff, and the, the Super League would be the Premier League, it would be the elite clubs, it would deal with its own broadcasting deals and deal with its own marketing. So there was a there was a split, which I suppose you could have looked at football and said that the split worked to a certain degree. It certainly worked in favour of the Premier League clubs in terms of them being able to sort out their own affairs without having to worry about the 70-odd clubs below them and the whole grassroots structure of the game. Um, but I don't think the 12 clubs are strong enough to actually split away and think that they can do their own things. I just don't think there's a collective strength that there was with any 20 Premier League football teams. So, um, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to be on here kind of answering kind of your questions and engaging and kind of being informative, but I don't know anything about this either. I, I'm, I'm really struggling. This is one of the reasons that I spent so much time um, on this section of the letter because no one tells us if the if the if the split worked. I keep hearing about the split being over and everyone collectively getting back together. And I want to know whether whether they got their objectives, whether it's been a failure, whether it's been a success. You know, what were the what were the goals at the start of it? And I've just listed some. That was what I thought the goals were. Nobody really mentioned what the goals were. You know, if if it hasn't worked, whose fault was it? These are these are the questions that we try to ask, and because. I don't think anyone really knows 
what the point of it was. And if they do know what the point of it was, who's going to tell us if it succeeded? Because it, it, it looks very clearly like it has. Yeah, he's not because he, he hasn't been in his, his job long, has he? He's already leaving, and it just it's, it was sort of like re, for me, it, it was sort of like just the straw that brought the camels back because it was just like everything just seems to be a gimmick, and nobody really tells us why we do anything, and it just on it on it, it really really frustrated me when when it all came out because I was like, well, what what's the point? You're like you're telling us that you're doing it, but why are you doing it, and what? What you're gonna do by do what you're gonna get out of it by doing it, but again, there's no answers. There's, you know, even even f- trying to do some research on it and stuff today, I was getting frustrated because I was like, I don't really know what to say during this section because mm. I don't know who does what. We got free pizzas. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> last time I think last time I think anyone really saw him properly, Elston was the um, did the Man of Steel um, kind of online thing with from like Brian Carney's bedroom or something yeah. um, back in November or it was and and he was on and he was just it was it was robotic he would just kept talking about Super League Super League oh the fans love Super League going back to last week I don't think the word rugby kind of left his mouth at any stage and it was just like parroting slogans and jargon about Super League Super League Super League and I thought you've got no feel for this you've got no you know, you're not culturally attached to this. You don't really know what it is you're selling. It's a, you know, it's a marketing branding yeah. job for you, and and you need more than that. You need to, yeah. you need to be a rugby league person. You need to, you need to know how the game ticks in order to get a feel for it. And he just didn't seem like he was the right person for the job. And in, you know, and I I don't know anything. Well, a lot of people have mentioned this previous role at Everton, but I didn't want to get involved with that. But who didn't think that he did a very good job at Everton, but I, I don't know anything about that, to be honest. No. But he obviously wasn't the right man, otherwise he'd still be the right man, he'd still be in his job, and we'd be getting a better TV deal, and Rugby League would have progressed in a marketing sense from where it was before he was appointed, and he was obviously appointed with a big remit and big ambitions, which haven't been met. But again, I mean, you know, who's to blame? Is it Was he to blame, or... Did he not have the power? He, he tried to do the deal with the um, to. I'll try and put my words properly. He tried to um, do a deal for a, a percentage of Super League to um, be sold off to certain other people, which he thought would make the sport a lot of money, and the clubs didn't back it. And you kind of think, well, how long did he spend on that? Was that within his remat? Did he did he go rogue? Were the clubs telling him to do that? And if so, why did he then say no when he brought a deal back to them? So again, there's no there's no transparency in terms of what his job was or what the clubs would allow him to do. And as we said last week, I don't think we'll ever know. I don't think there'll ever be a proper answer as to what's been going on. No, I think you're right. Just want to pick up on and make a couple of points about something that you said then, which was around needing to be a rugby league person. One of the things that always baffles me is this choice of president. Mm. I mean... We had Tony Adams as president at one point. I'm not quite sure what that, where that came from. But I'm not even sure he's in a rugby league before that. Uh, well, I don't think he had. No. Um, now we've got Claire Balding, but at least she likes rugby league and she'd be on the BBC with a Challenge Cup. Yeah. But Tony Adams was was just a, a absolutely <laughs> bizarre. When you're talking about someone to promote the game, you say Tony Adams and, and you think of 
you think of of Arsenal, don't you? And it, it's odd one. Very. If I, if I was going to put money on the next one, I'd put money on Stuart Pearce. Stuart Pearce, he's yeah. in line for it. Now, he's definitely he? in line for it. Or that guy off the uh, what's he called? The guy off the last leg. Um, oh, Adam, Adam Hills. Hills. Yeah, he might be doing it next. Yeah, I'd give it Johnny Vegas. Johnny Vegas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the other um, the other point then, Gray, is you said about being a rugby league person um, and what we've just talked about with the last CEO. There's been a lot of talk lately about wanting um, Matchroom and the Hearns to be involved. Yeah. Is that something that that you would like? Or, I mean, I'm really, ooh, I'm not, I'm not sure about that. That's arm's length stuff for me. But what, what how do you feel? The same, I think. I've, I've, I've not been convinced by anyone's arguments about that. I mean, it, it's it's a, it's a different, it's a different game, isn't it? Having to, you know, setting up snoop, sorry, darts tournaments or big boxing cards, the set piece events. He's very, very good at that. And um, but in terms of doing it every single week, and and the 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 power and influence that he would probably want over. The game, I, I, I've never been. I've never been convinced that a he would have the patience for it because you're dealing with twelve different clubs. You're dealing with six games every weekend. It's not like it's not like sorting out the World Darts Championships where you can you can have a venue, have two weeks, do it the way you want to do it, and then it disappears again, and you can bring it back with the Premier League darts and the set piece events, the one offs. Having to do that six nights a week, every week for seven months in different towns where you can't kind of guarantee what the crowds are going to be like. You can't guarantee how the games are going to be. There's a lot of intangibles there that you can't control as a promoter or as someone in charge of a sport, which I think he would get very, um, very annoyed by very quickly when he realized that, you know, he couldn't have the influence and control. And then if he was given the influence and control, I don't think that would be very good for the game either. No, I agree. I, I'm also um, against that. Can I, can, I, can I make one more point? Sorry, I was, I was just thinking off the top of my head that there was something that I said um, to somebody a while ago about um, he makes he makes his, his clients, his sports people, a lot of money. So, you know, people in darts make a lot more money than they used to make. Um, <clears throat> top boxers make a lot more money than they used to make but a lot less people watch them now. And that's one of the things that no one ever really talks about when they talk about him and his organization. You know, you think back to how many people watch Frank Bruno and Nigel Benn and Chris Eubank compared to the amount of people who watch um, Joshua now. It's a different world. You think about the amount of people who watch darts back in the day, how many people watch darts now. It's a different world. So the people that he's in charge of, he's done really well for them financially, but I don't think he's made them stars in a way that, uh, you know the contemporaries 20, 30 years ago were stars so that's something else to look at as a negative for him in my opinion mm. Yeah that's, that's, that's true um, you know I don't really do the boxing really unless it's like a big fight like I know that Joshua's supposed to be fighting Tyson Fury so I'll probably watch that because I know both of them half the time I've never heard who one of them you know the other person that they're fighting I've never heard of him so I'm never really that bothered by it but the, the darts, I like the darts, I watch the darts. Didn't you stay up and watch that Mayweather and Pacquiao fight? Yeah, and like... it was the worst decision <laughs> I've ever made. Didn't you stay up at about six o'clock in the morning? Yeah, you? I got all my mates round, I put pizzas in the oven and everything. 
<laughs> and it was such, just, it was such a letdown. <laughs> One of them fell asleep before it came on, didn't Literally, it? as soon as the bell went for the first round, his eyes went. It was well funny, but that was the best part about the night, to be honest. Um, but yeah, but again, it got bummed up so much by Sky, and now it was the fight of the century and all that, and it was such a letdown, but... Like I say, it's like Gray was saying, and uh, you can't. Yeah, events. Yeah, it's events. It's like two weeks, two weeks, three week period. You, you can't, you can't do it for for eight months of the year or whatever it is. And because you you get rid of everything that's unique about a game of rugby league at Hull KR or a game of rugby league at Warrington, you'd want to have some kind of generic presentation of everything that would mean that each game then meant less because it was part of a package, it was part of a production underneath one umbrella, and, and that's just not possible. You can do a little bit. You can you can have your TV presentation, you can have certain light shows and stuff, but once the whistle goes, every game is different. Every crowd is different. Every stadium is different. You know, Every town that games are played in is different. You, you can't control it in that way. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Um, moving on to, um, I'm going to move on to something that you've raised in the letter, Gray, which is the um, the Rugby League World Cup, which yeah. is, um, you know, I mean, I I get really excited about, I, you know, I I love international rugby league. I think it's great, and um, it's something that I'm really excited about coming into the end of the season. You've raised the point about this this truncated season, haven't you? That, that finishes. Okay. It really sort of cuts it fine two weeks before and and only a week before um, the the pre tournament friendly against Fiji. Yeah, um, I, it's funny because the the letter was written before um, Sean Wayne was on the BBC um, during the Challenge Cup um, weekend that they had a few weeks ago, and he was basically asked about you know were you were you consulted, were you um, liaised with about certain things? And he kind of gave a look as if to say, no, obviously not. So one of my questions was, you know, did, did you did you communicate with um, Sean Wayne over the length of the season and how much time England would have between the grand final, which you'd imagine a lot of England players would be playing in the grand final, probably at least probably half the team. And then two weeks later playing in the opener, I think that question's been asked, answered by him himself when he was on TV and he, he gave the the polite, no, I haven't been consulted answer. So I, mm. I, that question can be scratched off. It's already been answered yeah. by the main, by the main man himself. And <laughs> it, it's not, it's not, it's not ideal. Is it? And you, you, everything that happens between now and October is less important in a way than what happens in the world cup in terms of the, the games chances of being a success. Now, every club wants to play as many home games as it can once the restrictions are lifted. I understand that. They've tried to do it so there's more games in the second half of the year when there's going to be crowds. I get that financially. It's really, really important. But two weeks between the grand final, which is you know a huge game, a tiring game, emotionally for the winners, emotionally for the losers, that's going to take you days to get over that, whether you win or lose. As you said with the, the, the million-pound game, losing the grand final, and then being asked a few days later, off you pop to the England camp, get ready for the World Cup. It would be soul-destroying for some players. And if you won it two or three days later, said, stop celebrating, get off with the England squad, it's not a, it's not ideal preparation for what could be a really, really important tournament for 
rugby league in this country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> and not to give him a free weekend in the middle of the season as well. That was another one that um, baffled me. Yeah, yeah. Which we've got this um, combined nations uh, game, haven't we? The, the old exiles thing. Yeah, which should have been the first thing they thought of when the when the Ashes was cancelled last year. The first thought should have been, we can't we can't not give England you know a weekend during the season at some point on their own, so players can all get together. He's going to be in a situation where he's he's he's, he's going to be worried about picking his best team through fear of four or five of them playing for the same team and hampering them that weekend if they have to play a league game at the same time. It's not ideal. No, and I think you mentioned in the letter, Gray, as well, that this could be the absolute... Uh, it could be potentially the making of rugby league in the country could really bring us to the forefront if England were to do really well and, and win the World Cup, which which happened to Rugby Union in 2003. Because I remember, uh, as I, I mentioned before, when I was working over at Sport England, the RFU actually weren't ready for England winning the World Cup in 2003 and didn't expect to. They their aims were two thousand and seven, mm. and that was when they thought they were going to really, um, really. That was what they were p- building up to. And when England won in two thousand and three, the RFU weren't ready for the massive influx of people that then wanted to go and play rugby union. Yeah. Um. So you know something you know just something as simple as that really where we should be we should be looking ahead. I mean, you can't you can't overstate. Obviously, I mean, if England win the Rugby League World Cup, we're not going to be getting twenty five thousand a game and get a hundred million TV deal. We're not going to. It's not going to change the game overnight, but it will certainly help it. Yeah. If the sport domestically jumps on the back of a successful World Cup and takes advantage of it, I think that the last time we had a World Cup and it was reasonably successful, you know, that we didn't capitalise on it at all. We didn't yeah. capitalise on it by having England playing around the country straight away the next season we didn't England didn't play another home game I think for a year after the World Cup it was it was badly managed and you know I'm hopeful I'm hopeful that there's there's planning put in behind this this is one of the things that I'm quite optimistic about I think they've planned the World Cup quite well in terms of where the games are and how it's structured and I think there are a few teams that could shock the the traditional big three I think it could be a good tournament it's how we it's how we do on off the back of it. Yeah, that worries me. I think something there, um, where it would certainly help, I think, is if we did, if we did really well in the World Cup, would be to perhaps help establish uh, an international calendar, as far as England or Great Britain were concerned, and important to to differentiate the two there as well. I mean, which is all about funding, because if you Great Britain, you get your funding from UK Sport. And if you sport England, you, you get it. Sorry, if you're England, you get it from, from Sport England. That's that's generally the rule where it is, and that's why we ended up from Great Britain to England because it was all part of the Sport England funding package for rugby league, where uh, you so many million over over four years. What what people don't realise, incidentally, on that is that um, there's a review for every sport after two years in a four year funding cycle, mm. and continuously continuously in every single funding cycle rugby league has had the funding cut or some of it with some of it brought back and had to refund some of it after the two year things because they failed to hit the participation targets yeah and and, and that's i think that's how you 
sports advisory is starting from the grassroots level and, yep, and things like that. You know, you want to see kids going out in the park and playing rugby and and and, and playing for uh, the you know the amateur clubs and things like yeah, that. Absolutely. So. But on the international calendar, how would you structure what? What's a must if if we said Gray that the World Cup was let's say years one and five, let's say it was every four years, yeah? Mm-hmm. How would you fill the other three years of international, let's let's say there's something at the end of every season, like the World Cup, what would you like to see, therefore, in years two, three and four? Um, I, I, I think we grew up with it, didn't we? And, I, and they still do it in cricket. You know, the Australians should be here every four years. Yeah, we should be there. Every, we, we should be there every four years. So that's so, that's years that's years two, isn't it? Year two and six, which has got to be the Ashes, hasn't it? Well, I'd have you, you could argue that you could have an Ashes every two years. You could have if 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 um, if they're every four years and we are there every four years. That's that's an Ashes every two years. And yeah. they do that in cricket. It's not lost its um, it's not lost its passion in cricket every two years. I, I'd have an I'd have an Ashes series every two years. A three-game series with a you know a, a decent little tour around it if it was possible. Yeah. Um, and then around it, I think you could then kind of have it, so to speak. So New Zealand would be here every eight years, and we'd be in New Zealand every eight years. And then on the odd year when Australia or New Zealand are here, you then have another you have another country touring, or you could have a combined tour: Samoa, Tonga, Fiji. Mm-hmm. They tour at the same time. Yeah. And they all play a test match against England or they all play a test match against France and Wales. And, and the years when we're not in Australia or New Zealand, we do a tour of the islands, we do a tour of those countries. So there's a consistent pattern. You prioritise the Ashes and the World Cup. They're the two big things. They're the two things that are going to make money. Sell and the then game. you, yeah. yeah. And then what New Zealand and Australia decide to do together is, is a different matter. They're, they're going to play each other every year regardless because... They play on Zach tests and all these things. Yeah. But I think you prioritise the World Cup and the Ashes, and then you rotate it around. We play New Zealand or we play the other islands. France is another issue. You can play France any time. You can play them in a mid-season game every single year if you wanted. Perhaps we should be playing France when the at the similar time to the Anzac test, if you like. Have an international weekend, yeah, yeah when there's no club games, yeah. Southern Hemisphere countries play each other. Australia can play New Zealand and Tonga can play Samoa and we could play Scotland and Wales play France or whatever and have an international weekend, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that, that was everything I had wrote down. Ashes tour and, uh, you know, or, or well, Ashes tour every every four years and then your other tours. I always I always like the, the, the Kiwi tours, the, yeah. the New Zealand tours. Um, been to quite a lot of them games and, yeah. Um, seen some really good matches, so I, I like that sort of stuff. And but if you're not going to play New Zealand, can you play like your your Tongas, Samoas? Um, well, that 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 gap is closing a little bit. Your Tonga, um, you could argue that's completely closed. Uh, Tonga, but Samoa, Fiji, Papua New Guinea. Yeah, exactly. Like them them Pacific Islanders. Yeah. Um, that that sort of tour. If you're not having a Nashies tour, um, and then like a. a the home nations tour, yeah. that sort of thing, you know, as the game grows and if, if teams like Wales and, and Scotland and Ireland and things like that and they, they continue to get stronger, you've got and France as well, 
you've got like a, a home nations tour yeah. and stuff as well then. And I think as Gray said, it's the two the two big international things that are gonna sell the game for rugby league is the World Cup and the Ashes. Oh absolutely, you know, the, the cricket's been mentioned, hasn't it, and what Gray was talking about and uh, I know I always like watching the, the Ashes, the cricket and Yeah. Um And we need to go for Great Britain for the Ashes as well. Absolutely, yeah, because I don't want to lose Great Britain on the, the back of that last tour because it was just laughable, wasn't it? Was disastrous, it? wasn't it? Yeah, and I, I don't, I wouldn't want us to to lose uh, Great Britain for another what ten, ten years, twelve years, or whatever it was um, off the back of that tour. So I think the sooner they get yeah. get Great Britain tour, um, or you know, a Great Britain Ashes against Australia, the, the better, really, for me. Absolutely. The, the, the sooner the better, because the longer it goes, the easier it will be for people to um, not bring it back. Yeah. 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 I agree. You know, I'll be looking at next year after the World Cup and things like that. So Yeah, definitely. The the last part for tonight, the last uh, the last little topic if you like, is um Gray, I've just put down here grounds for concern. So you know what I mean by that, don't you? I initially didn't and um when I read it out <laughs> to my <laughs> Mrs. She told me exactly what it meant. I thought, "Oh, what a great pun!" Yeah, <laughs> but I didn't. I didn't get it. I'll be honest with you. That's all right. Do you want to talk us through some of the issues in the letter around grounds for concern? Yeah, I mean, it, it's. Uh, I think it's something a lot of people have mentioned over the years. I, I you know, being a Saint Helens fan, we left our traditional old ground that we all loved. We knew it needed to. We knew we needed to move into the future. But there were certain threats made about our Super League participation unless we got our new ground sorted out. And every club in what we traditionally still call Lancashire, or Southwest Lancashire, either preempted the threats or acted upon the threats. So I don't think there's a I don't think there's a, a, a rugby league club in that part of the world that now plays in the ground they played in like fifteen, twenty years ago, St. Helens, Wigan, Warrington, Witness, Lee. All moved Salford. All moved um, because they were they were either forced to or they knew they were going to be forced to. Um, with notable exceptions in Yorkshire, there's some clubs that have done really good work in terms of their stadiums. Um, similar promises were made by certain Yorkshire clubs about their future projections were based upon moving into new grounds or improving their ground, and it just didn't happen. And so it kind of annoys me that clubs to the west of the Pennines spent a lot of money and invested a lot of energy and finances into moving into new stadiums that they were, you know, they were told they had to, otherwise they may they may lose their Super League role. Whereas clubs to the east of the Pennines haven't, and it leads to a it leads to a conclusion that certain authorities in the game are a little bit more harsh in their judgments upon clubs to the west of the Pennines and the east of the Pennines. And it also means that those clubs haven't had to spend the money, which leads back to the beginning when you think about clubs that have failed and haven't used the artificial kick-ups that they've had or pickups that they've had. They haven't actually had to spend any money on ground improvements as well. So their failures are even more yeah. magnified by the fact that they haven't been spending loads of money on off-field stuff. And there's nothing like an away day in Yorkshire, is there, in March, getting wet through at, at Castleford, Wakefield, even Leeds you get wet through at the away end, don't you still? Yeah, makes me <laughs> I mean, laugh. I, I, I love it all. I mean, I love all the old grounds. Oh, I mean, yeah. But, you know, but, you know I'd, I'd, if, if we all still played in the old grounds, I'd say perfectly fine. That's great. But 
we weren't allowed to. They are. Yeah. Uh, I think it's I think it's time for us to to move into the future, and you know we're trying to survive as a sport and things like that. And it's funny, it makes me laugh though how everybody loves Castleford but hates Wakefield for the ground. <laughs> yeah. <It's> like, yeah, <laughs> but it's true, and there's no difference really, is there? Not not apart from, re- not apart from that block that, of flats yeah. thing at the back. There's yeah, there's not a lot of difference. Yeah, there? you know it's. Um, Oh, and the bricks that come over from outside as you're watching. They've put a roof on that now. <laughs> they put a roof, so, yeah. yeah stop that. <laughs> um, I think Castleballs are a bit more of a cool factor, I think, than Wakefield. I, I don't want to, I don't want to like kind of pit them against each other. But I think, I think people of a certain age remember classy Cast. They remember like Stedman and players, and they remember him getting to Challenge Cup finals in the '80s and stuff. And then there's a yeah. there's a bit of a cool factor about Cast that. Wakefield just haven't had really in the last 20, 30 years. No, but yeah, right. there's there is there's virtually no difference yeah. in right. terms of the Coolness. game day atmosphere. Coolness right through to JT the jungle cat. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Never did tell us what his name was. So No, he follows us on Twitter, but never did tell us his real what JT stood for, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, maybe he's listening to this and he can tell us again. Yeah. Come on, I was, JT. I was, I was sat on a train about... Ooh, remember when Castleford got relegated? Yeah. There's a, there a few years... There was, down in the second division or whatever it was called back then. I was sat on a train coming back from somewhere and there was a Cass fan sat opposite me. And I said, oh, you're a Castleford fan. Yeah, I'm a Saints fan. Yeah, I said, you'll, you'll be back. And he said, yeah, just like Man United, you won't be able to keep us down. And I thought, you've got a slightly um, <laughs> slightly bigger opinion of yourself than the rest of the game. <laughs> but um, comparing yourself to when Man United got relegated in the 70s, but always stuck with me the image yeah. that they had of themselves you know though you, you won't keep us down and you know they, they've won nothing since but you know yeah. more, good like, them. more like Norwich yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry Castleford fans if you're listening to them <laughs> you're better than Norwich more like West Brom <laughs> right no, um, I, 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 like, I like Castle it was just some oh, I like the sweet shop at the back of the main stand where you can where you can go and buy like a quarter of chocolate limes or something I, I just like wean against the wall. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Listen, I think, I mean, in in terms of structure and governance, I think that just wraps us up for this special, I think. Um, we've got another part to look forward to next week, which we've deliberately stayed away from tonight, haven't we, gents? Which is the, we're going to go into um, the, the match day experience, the on-field changes, the constant rule changes. Can we keep up with that? And what really is the on-field product? And we're going to look at that next week, gents, aren't we? Yes. Yeah, I think it's... Um, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's really good because there's some people who have the opinion that everything that we've discussed doesn't mean anything unless the game on the field is exciting. So it's a really important thing to talk about. Yeah, so I'm really looking forward to that. Um, but great thank you so much for being with us um, my pleasure my Callum pleasure. it's been a pleasure as always yeah it's been good I've enjoyed it you know thanks thanks for uh, doing most of the talking but uh, thanks for to Gray for joining us just... well you'll come into your own next week as a as a, as a as a as a player as a referee won't you you'll, you'll come into you'll have a lot to say next week around the uh, the changes and the, the on-field product won't you yeah well I, I, I know you know I, I, what I like. This is your bag, isn't it? This. Next yeah, week. I know what, I, I, what I'd like to see and things like that. So okay. yeah. All right. So listen, thank you to you both, um, and uh, we will look forward to part three next week. Uh, anyone that's listening, follow us on Twitter. 
uh, at Loose Forward Pod. And wherever you go in, enjoy your rugby league this week. And it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me.